Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We are in part three of this series that we started a few weeks ago, uh, Relational Game Changers. And I want to start this teaching, this part three for the weekend with this statement. It's going to seem simple, but I want you to let it just sink in. I just want you to let it, I want you to let it just kind of like become part of how you see God from this point forward. Our God is a relational God. Now, that might not seem like it means much to you, but understand this. God moves in relationships. God ordains relationships. God dwells in relationships. God is the author of relationships. That is extremely important because in the society that we live in right now, there is so much that is tearing relationships apart. There is so much that's bringing division. There is so much that's causing people to want to be isolated. There's so much that's causing people to say, you know what, I've had enough grief in relationships. I'm just going to, from this point forward, just go solo and not, not get involved with anybody so that I don't have any aggravation, not get involved with anybody so I don't have to have any grief, I don't have to have any challenges in life. There's only one problem. God's not in that mindset. God brings people together in unity, especially for his purposes. Amen? He loves relationships. He instituted friendship as a method he uses to bring comfort, to bring love, to show love. Sometimes you can get advice from a friend, someone in your, your relationship that you're in relationship with. And, and God uses relationships to bring growth in our lives. Because you see, when you're on your own, and I've been, 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 been honing in on this for the past couple of weekends, when you've decided to do life on your own, you're going to get sloppy. You're going to become less disciplined. You're going to become more selfish. Why? Nobody to get dressed for. No reason to get out of bed in the morning. There's no, no, no reason to develop any kind of communicating skills. Why? You're not bothering with anybody. There's no reason to develop any kind of uh, love walk. Why? Because the only person you have to be concerned about is yourself. There's no, there's no incentive for you to put your flesh down so that you could be in a relationship with somebody else. God uses relationships to cause us to kind of sharpen our, our relational skills. What's the big deal about that, Pastor? The big deal about that is this. Relational skills are almost always going to, going to involve walking in love and walking in forgiveness. And so if you, if you don't really care about what anybody thinks, you're not going to walk in forgiveness. If you don't really care about investing in anybody else's life, you're not going to walk in love. And yet all we hear in the scriptures, love one another, forgive one another. Love one another, forgive one another. First thing that Jesus preached to the disciples on the night that he rose from the dead was forgiveness of sins and commanded us to go and preach the forgiveness of sins. Go and preach the love of God. Amen? Amen. 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 Forgiveness and love. Forgiveness and love. Everything rests on that. If we love God, we're going to obey God. If we love one another, 
We're not going to hurt one another. We're going to look out for each other's benefit, for each other's welfare. Yes or no? Yes. Would you agree that most of the grief that you go through is related to a relationship that maybe went bad or a relationship that's becoming challenging? And so, so, so if, we get, if we start to learn what the Word of God says about these things, and especially if we learn through the examples that have been set for us in the Scriptures, and that's what this series is all about, is, is looking at particular relationships, specific relationships in the Word of God that set an example for us. We've talked about loyalty. We've talked about brotherly love. Last week, we talked about covenant love. This week, we're going to talk about two of the most influential men that we have recorded for us in the Old Testament, their lives, which, which God used these individuals to bring the people of Israel, his chosen people, to bring them out of bondage, out of slavery, out of, out of the kingdom of darkness, and brought them into the promised land. And we're talking about Moses and Joshua and the unique relationship that, that they had. God uses people to speak into our lives, to encourage, to educate, to motivate. And one of the greatest things that we can do for one another is to motivate each other how to seek God, how to seek him, and how to walk out the plan that God has for your life. Now listen, I'm not one to, pr to promote us. I'm not. I'm not one to promote us. But you can't get away from the fact uh, that God uses individuals to touch our lives. And God has an individual plan for each specific person that's ever been born on this planet and ever will be born on this planet. You cannot get away from that. I, I would rather that our attention be on God. I'd rather our attention would be uh, on him constantly, that the glory would always go to him. But we've got to talk about these relational issues because God is either going to get glorified from our relationships or he's going to be blasphemed. And it, you'll see this in a few minutes as we get into some scriptures in the New Testament. The biggest concern and instruction in the New Testament, you never see don't do this because you're going to go to hell. We see don't do this, don't think this way, don't speak this way, don't act this way so that the name of God be not blasphemed. People are watching you. People are watching me. People are watching the way we live our lives. Now, I'm not saying that we need to be on guard, that we should become paranoid. That's not what I'm saying. But your life is either going to be an example that's going to promote the gospel or it's going to be an excuse for someone not to pay attention to the goodness of God. And you don't see that any clearer than in relationships. It is such a pity and such a shame and it's such a just complete waste of our energy when Christians, when brothers and sisters in the Lord can't get along, when there's friction, when there's conflict. It shouldn't be this way. We're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to love one another. And nobody ever said it was going to be easy. That's why he's got to constantly tell us, love one another, love one another, because it's so easy to forget to love one another. Amen? Amen. So we're going to look at this relationship here between Moses. Obviously, Moses, many of us know, born of, uh, uh, as an Israelite slave in Egypt, born two slaves. His mother was determined that she was going to save her son from death because Pharaoh, if you remember the story, Pharaoh had given an order for all the Jewish babies, Jewish male babies to be thrown into the river, that they would be destroyed. This way he could wipe out this, this group of individuals. And so you think about it, Moses' mother, 
She kind of obeyed the command. You know, the command was to throw the babies in the river. She did. She just put them in a basket first and then put them in the river. And so you, many of you know the story, I'm sure. She was found then by uh, Pharaoh's daughter. She scooped them out of the water. She claimed them to be his, her own. He was raised in Pharaoh's palace, raised up, had great education, had great influences around him. Uh, and then at a specific age, he starts to come to himself. About 40 years old, he starts to realize that his life is, there's more to it than just him being raised in the palace. He begins to now uh, take pity and have compassion upon his brothers uh, who are still slaves, his family that are still slaves, his people, and his heart begins to be drawn towards the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know at some point in his attempt to try to fulfill the, God's plan for his life in his own power, he murders an Egyptian, and so he has to flee. And he's gone. He's, he's le he leaves Egypt for about 40 years. At 80 years old, God appears to him. And in this flaming bush, you know, the whole fiery bush thing, you know the story, and gives him the charge and gives him the command for the rest of his life of what he's to do. Go back, go get my people, go talk to Pharaoh, release them, and bring them to the land that I promised them. The other individual in this relationship is a man named Joshua. He's of the tribe of Ephraim. His father's name was Nun. So he's Joshua, son of Nun. But we know he's Joshua, son of somebody, okay? And so uh, he's born in Egypt also, in slavery. And he becomes famous for being Moses' assistant. And we'll go into that. Now, I will repeat this. If you stick with me during this teaching, we will leave here changed. Amen. We will uh, leave changed in this sense that through this relationship, we're going to see the value that we need to place on people that God puts in our lives to speak into our lives. But we also need to realize that there are times that God puts people in our life for us to speak into and for us to invest in. And I think sometimes because, you know, we live in this world. We're not of this world, but we live in this world. And just like sometimes you can't help but become contaminated, you have to be on guard constantly. So, so because the predominant attitude of our society is selfishness, if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, we can let that selfishness affect us. And we can start putting ourselves first. And so when you, when you live a life, and I've known people like this, where, where no one's ever challenged them to come out of their selfishness. No one's ever challenged them to start thinking about others before themselves. The main thought in life is never, I need to mentor this person. I need to teach this person. I need to invest in this person. I need to share my life with this person. So we become these isolated little cells. And we're missing it. Because that's not the way God wants his people to do life. He deposits things inside of us. Because there's people that he's going to put in our life that need that very thing that he deposited in us. We grow together. We never grow apart. And we never grow alone. I hope you're catching that. 
There is something that God almost always requires us to do in relationships, and that is invest. God will put a quality, a characteristic, a specific talent or gifting in an individual with the expectation of, them being, of, those, of those qualities being sown in the lives of those around us, and that is through relationship. Think about this. This is what God said about Abraham. It's recorded for us in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. God said about Abraham, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. What does that mean? God's saying, I chose Abraham. I chose him. There were certain characteristics I put in him. There were certain giftings and talents I deposited in him because I know Abraham is going to affect his children and his children's children. And look at, it, look at it this way. Through the scriptures, he's affecting us all the way into our generation thousands of years later. Are you catching this? So we're supposed to bring people with us on our journey in life. We're not supposed to go alone. We're not supposed to be in this thing by ourselves. God doesn't want us to waste anything. Even the battles that you and I have endured, the victories that we've won, we're supposed to share our life experiences with others so that they can learn from us and we can learn from them. In the New Testament, we have specific instructions from the Holy Spirit in order for us to be trained, in order for us to mentor through relationships. I want to take you to the book of Titus, chapter 2. So we're going to talk talk about Moses and Joshua. We'll get there. We'll get there. Right now, let's go to Titus chapter 2, because I want you to see the principle before I show you the example. Are you getting this? Titus chapter 2. Hold on, hold on, because this is stuff we're going to read in here that is extremely contrary to society today. Listen, here's the instruction. The Apostle Paul to Titus. Well, we know it's the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. Teach the older men to be temperate worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Verse 3, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then, verse 4, watch this now, look, look at the way the sequence, then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Now, if I was to get on television today and start talking about these kind of things, we'd get immediate backlash. In fact, some of you here, your spine just went. You, you started getting tingles up your back. Does it, does he, does, do they really believe this? Yeah, because that's what the word says. So what, what, are we, what are we seeing here? Watch. What is the whole reason why the older men are supposed to be temperate? Why the older women are not supposed to be slanderous? Why the young women are supposed to be taught to love their husbands and children? You see what it says here? So that no one will malign the word of God. What does that have to do with anything, Pastor? Well, our conduct, again, like I said before, is either going to point people to God or is going to push people away from God. People will judge what we claim we believe by what they see in our lives. And we can't get away from this. I don't care what you say. Because some of you think, well, well, you have no right to judge me. I'm not judging you. The word of God is just declaring. 
This is the standard that we're supposed to live by. Nobody said it was going to be easy. Nobody said it was going to come natural. If it came natural, we wouldn't have to have this portion of Scripture to teach us. Similarly, verse 6, encourage young men to be self-controlled. How many of you have known some young men that have lacked self-control? How, how many have been some young men that lacked self-control? So, so we need mentors. We need relationships. We need people to teach us. Verse 7, and everything set an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say. What is it saying here? It's saying, work together in your relationships. Older ones, you've had more life experience. You know what it's like to go through some things. Teach the younger ones. Set the example. Live life with them. Don't live life apart from generations. We all need to learn from one another. Every generation should be doing life together in order to learn from life experience. The younger should not despise the elder's advice. The elder should not discount the passion and the zeal of the younger. And we see that in the relationship with Joshua and Moses. Moses is 80 years old when he gets started. You know, when you're 80 years old, you don't have that much patience anymore. I mean, most of us are not anywhere near there. And that's why you have kids when you're young. When we realize and accept that God puts people in our lives in relationship with us, that he's going to use it as part of his divine plan. We should be all working together. You know? I, I, I see it a little bit in our generation. It depends really on your family culture. You know? Uh, my wife and I, are, are, we, we feel like we're really close with our grandchildren. We try to spend as much time as possible with them. Okay? It's not just because they're cute. But we want to deposit something in them, even if it's just by example. Are you listening? Because, you know, families can go through, through things sometimes. Anybody, anybody, have, anybody ever have family challenges? And the rest of you are liars. Anybody ever have any challenges in the family? You got to be careful with that because the worst thing you do is just split things up. Why? Because then these principles will not come to pass. Imagine. I mean, we'll see it as we go through. But if Joshua had an attitude with Moses, like, you're an old man. What are you going to teach me? If Moses had the attitude with Joshua, you're a young whippersnapper. You don't want to learn. You think you know everything. Man, both of them would have really, we'd miss out because we wouldn't have the example in Scripture that we have. So we're supposed to be a blessing to people. And we see this example in the lives of Moses and Joshua. Now, by the time Joshua is mentioned in the Bible, he must have already been in relationship with Moses, and I'll tell you why. He gained confidence of Moses early on because Moses picks Joshua to lead the army of Israel in one of the very first battles they had to fight after coming out of Egypt. You imagine that. So when you're just coming out, you've got an entire nation of slaves that have never been trained to fight. And you pick Joshua? That says something about what Moses thought about Joshua. Why? Because they could be exterminated in this battle. So he obviously had enough confidence. He obviously had been in relationship with them. He's obviously been watching them. 
Because any great leader is going to watch the people that are around them to see what they're capable of, to see where the strengths are, to see where the weaknesses are, to see where they need to be shored up. And so we see this in Exodus chapter 17. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men. He even let Joshua be the one to choose them. Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Remember this staff, the Red Sea staff? Okay. I'll stand on the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. Now, obviously, this is symbolic of prayer. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they, Aaron and Hur, took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands. What do we have here? Relationship. Relationship. They're helping Moses to fulfill his mission and his calling. So, verse 13, so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Look at verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, God, the God of relationships, the God of mentoring, the God who puts people in your life for you to learn from and for you to learn, for you to teach. Watch what he does. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and look it, look it, and make sure that who? That Joshua hears it. And he goes on to say, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek under heaven. What is God doing? Moses, Moses, this young kid, this guy, this young guy, that you let him, you let him lead the army, did a good job. Write this down so that we today can read this because Moses received instruction from God. Write down how Joshua conducted himself. Write down that Joshua was the one that defeated the Amalekites so that in the future, when Joshua gets discouraged, in the future, Moses, when you're not here, Joshua will remember the confidence that you had in him and how you placed him in a position to win. This was a real game changer for Joshua. I'll explain to you why. Moses allowing him to lead the armies of Israel was a miraculous event in Joshua's life. Why? Because Joshua was not the one who has military training. Moses is the one who has military training. So where is that in the scriptures? Josephus, the ancient historian, wrote a book for the Roman Empire, for the Roman officials on the history of the Jews. And Josephus goes all the way back to Moses' time and states that Moses led the armies of Egypt against the Ethiopian army and destroyed them. Moses had military training. You're not, you're not raised in Pharaoh's house and sit there and draw coloring books all day long. He wasn't sitting there playing video games in Pharaoh's basement. He was trained. He was trained, Josephus tells us, he was trained in architecture. He was trained in engineering. He was trained in military leadership. He's a smart man. But what does he do? Instead of him saying, Josh, listen, You've been a slave all your life. All you've known is going out and getting straw and making bricks and, and building pyramids. You stay here, I'll go fight the battle. No, what does Moses do? Moses lets Joshua go fight the battle. Why? He's got to pour in to Joshua. He's got to invest in Joshua. 
If they're going to win this battle, they're going to win this battle together. Amen? Let me ask you this question. Joshua proved to Moses that the hand of God was upon him. And so Joshua is successful in leading an army of slaves, not trained warriors, slaves, and wins a battle against trained troops and soldiers. Moses receives instruction from God. You make sure that you remind Joshua of this, this victory. Can I ask you this question? In your relationships, are you the type of person that encourages people and reminds them of their victory? Or are you the type of person that reminds them constantly of their, their, their faults, their shortcomings, the mistakes that were made? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. So from this point forward, Joshua is seen more and more as Moses' assistant. And we observe Moses intentionally developing Joshua. Now, this is really close to my heart. Because I've seen from the time that I was a teenager, God placed individuals in my life to teach me good, but the enemy also placed individuals in my life at the right, wrong time in the wrong place to have maximum effect. Now, I've recognized this. I recognize this. I've looked for those individuals in my life when I was younger. But then there comes a point in time and you realize you now are that individual that is supposed to invest. You're supposed to share your life. You're supposed to care about people and try to deposit something in them. And when I was in business, I would always tell the people that worked for me, listen, I want you to treat this place as if, if, as, as if it's your own. Not because I'm trying to make maximum profit out of you, but if, if I'm successful in teaching you how to work this place as if it's your own, someday you'll get your own. If I don't, if I'm only interested in getting a day's pay out of you, then all I'm doing is setting you up to be an employee. I'm not setting you up to be a leader. And I'm talking about talking to teenagers while they're scrubbing pots and pans in the kitchen of my restaurant. Are you listening? But let me ask this question. Again, just, this is inventory. It's inventory. Do you think the way that Moses does? Do you find yourself, if you don't find yourself naturally thinking that way, you need to go to the Lord. You need to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I don't seem like it comes natural to me to care about other people, to, to set them up for success. If that's you, just be honest with yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit, deposit in me. Change my nature. Well, Pastor, you don't say it's just who I am. That's, not, that's just an excuse. You have the Word of God. You have the Holy Spirit. They are the agents of change in the born-again person's life. Just because you were raised a certain way, just because your personality leads a certain way, does not mean you can't change. That is the beauty of the renewed mind. That is the greatness of the power of the Holy Spirit to bring metamorphosis in our lives. I want to equip as many people as possible to succeed in this life. When I say succeed, I'm not talking about by the world's standards. I'm talking about by God's standards. Moses had seen the world. Moses knew what the top level of society in his day was all about. And he chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy Las Vegas and Hollywood of Egypt. He saw the difference. As you read through the scriptures, you see that Moses pouring into Joshua. 
Moses brought Joshua up on the mountain to receive when he received the Ten Commandments from God. Exodus 24, verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments. I have written it for their instruction. Verse 13, Moses set out with who? Come on, come on. Moses set out with who? Joshua. And look what he calls him, his aide. And Moses went up on the mountain. He was there. Moses said to him, you're not as important as me. You don't have the position I have. You don't have the title I have. You better stay down here. No, come on, Joshua. Come on. Come on. Why? Moses knows he's not going to be there forever. Moses knows that this young man was placed in his life for this specific reason, to train him for the future. So let me just, let me just point this out to you. If you, haven't, if you have not found this out yet in your Christian life, in the things of the Spirit, in the things of God, there is more that is caught than taught. In other words, you've got to be in that. You've got to be in it. I thank God for the people that God placed in my life. I thank God for the groups of individuals that I was allowed to be a part of what was going on in their lives and prayer groups and prayer meetings and times when we'd just get together and talk about the things of God, times when they would go to people's house to minister to them. Come on, Joe, come with us. Come on, Joe, come with us. And I would, send, I, I would, I would observe and I would, I, would, I would watch what they were doing. I would watch how they would handle things. I would pray on the inside for them while they were doing the work of the ministry. And then little by little then, hey, Joe, come on. Why don't you pray? Hey, Joe, come on. You lay hands on this person. I can't tell you what a blessing that's been. But, but are you doing that? Are you, are you being a blessing to people? Or are you just there where, you know, it's all about me, it's all about me, what can you do for me? God does not honor that. That's not his nature. God is never about him. It's always about us. We should never be about us. We should always be about him. But if your heart really is for him, then your heart's going to be for people. You're not going to look to tear people. You're not going to look to criticize. You're not going to look to judge. You're not going to look to do anything. You're going to look, what can I do to help this person? How can I provoke them to good works? How can I motivate them like somebody motivated me? So important. Exodus chapter 24. Oh, I read that already. Joshua was there. Now watch this now. Watch, watch. Because here's a good one. Here's a good one. Because you think we think sometimes, well, if I'm going to be involved in people's lives, if, if people are going to be exposed to my life, then I got to constantly be on guard. I got to constantly have my best, you know, image, my best mask on, the whole bit. You can't live that way. That's exhausting. Ask me how I know. It's exhausting. Now, you can ask the people that are on staff here, who we are outside is the same people we are inside. Who we are out in the supermarket is the same person I am up here, okay? We, 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 don't, we don't wear masks, and sometimes we are too transparent. You see some of our staff walking out of our offices going, oh, Jesus. Now, watch this now. Joshua was there with Moses when he got the Ten Commandments, right? Do you remember what else happened while they were up there on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments? Exodus 32, verse 15. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant of the law in his hands. And they were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. 
Verse 17, when Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, it's the sound of war in the camp. And Moses replied, nah, it's not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing I hear. They're having a party, Joshua. They're having a party, Joshua. Verse 19, when Moses approached the camp and he saw the calf, remember the golden calf that the Israelites decided? Moses is up there too long. Oh, this guy's not coming back. He's, GPS is off. He's gotten lost. He's probably on some other mountain someplace. We're on our own. So what do they do? They went into default. What was default for them? We need an idol. They lived for over 400 years in, in an empire that worshiped idols. Now, they weren't doing this specifically to create an idol that was against God. They created an idol that was going to remind them of God. Why? Because when you don't have a personal relationship with God, you have to put something in your life that's going to remind you that you belong to God. And so Moses flips out. He takes the commandments. He throws them down. He smashes them. And if you read the whole story, he really, really flips out. He grinds, he has them grind up this golden calf, throw it in the water, and makes every one of them drink it. It's like, come on, you know, calm down, Moses. But here's the point I want to bring to you. Joshua was watching this. Moses is taking the chance that Joshua is going to lose respect for him. But when you're going to have people in your life and you're going to mentor them, and you're going to train them, they need to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Why? Because life consists of good, bad, and ugly. And I would imagine that decades later, in Joshua's own book, in chapter 24, when Joshua says, as for me, we're going to follow the Lord, he had to be thinking about that incident when he saw Moses wig out and lose it. Why? The zeal that he had for God was consuming him. And what looked ugly and what looked bad and what looked like, oh man, you should never act like that in front of your employees. You should never act like that in front of your, in front of your, your, your protégés. You should never act like that in front of people you're trying to, you're trying to uh, mentor. Well, let me ask you, are you trying to impress or are you interested in mentor? If you're interested in mentor, guess what? They need to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. So stop worrying about your image. Stop worrying about your masks. Stop worrying about what people are going to think about you. You be yourself in God, and you let them follow that example. There's nothing more real than a person who is sold out for God but lives with two feet on the earth. Why? We don't need to make impressions in heaven. We need to impress and impact people here on this earth. They need to see real. They don't need to see supernatural, spiritual, super spiritual weirdos. They need to see people that are naturally supernatural, who know the voice of the Holy Ghost, who know how to flow with the Holy Ghost, who know how to do so. Why? So you can raise generations of people that know how to flow with the Holy Ghost. Not be weird, flow with the Holy Ghost. One of those real people I've ever seen that I ever had the opportunity to sit under in teaching was Brother Kenneth Hagin, Sr. I heard a story about him one time. He traveled to South Africa, to the biggest church at that time in South Africa, was associated with him. 
He's going there. They're going to have a big three-night or four-night uh, meeting. Their church is supposed to start at 7 o'clock at night. At quarter to seven, he's still in the, in the pastor's house playing pinball machines. His wife's telling him, uh, we got to go. I'll be right there. We got to play pinball machines. He wasn't home praying in tongues for 16 hours. Playing pinball machines. Finally, they got him in the car. By the time they get to church, worship's already started. After worship, he walks up on the platform and begins to prophesy under the Spirit of God for the next hour and a half. Naturally, supernatural. Naturally. He didn't have to work something up. He didn't have to pretend he was something he wasn't. He didn't make a big spiritual spectacle in front of everybody, make everybody feel like you're never going to do this because you're not spiritually weird like I am. Naturally, supernatural. That story has stuck in my heart all these years. I want to raise up individuals that are naturally supernatural, that just know the voice of the Holy Ghost, that don't have to make a spectacle in front of people, don't have to march up on this platform and make a spectacle of themselves. Jesus is supernatural, but Jesus was never weird. You get that in your heart. So Joshua is seeing a guy who's naturally supernatural. He knows the voice of God. He knows how to hear the voice of God. Now, let me just go through this because we're running out of time. In Exodus 33, we see an example here, and I'm going to paraphrase this. Moses had a habit. Moses would take a tent, and he'd go outside of the encampment, and would set up this little tent, and everybody knew they just called the, temp of, the tent of meeting. Why? This is where Moses goes to meet with God. And so Moses would go out there, and if people would see him, they'd all stand outside their tents and watch Moses go to the tent of meeting and then see the cloud of glory come down upon that tent. And Moses would communicate with God, the scriptures say, face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Guess who's with Moses when this happens? Joshua. And at one point, in verse 11 of Exodus 33, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. That watch this now. That Moses would return to camp, but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So Moses would go. Who stayed behind? Joshua. Joshua's now developing his own relationship with the Lord. Joshua now is learning himself to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Joshua now is learning himself what it's like to be in the presence of God. And listen to me. The greatest thing we can teach other people is not to be so enamored with our presence, but to definitely seek after the presence of God. Why? Because the day's going to come where they're going to have to need to hear God for themselves. Now, let me skip down here and wrap this up. The best thing that Moses could do for Joshua was to let him experience everything that Moses experienced. Moses dies. Joshua takes over. Joshua's the one now that's going to take them physically into the promised land. God says to Joshua, my servant Moses is dead. As I was with him, I'm going to be with you. That's what I want to hear. Amen. Amen. Amen? So what happens? They come. They're going to cross the Jordan River. 
The Jordan River is the border into the promised land. They cross over the Jordan. The next thing they're going to face is Jericho, big walls. Archaeologists tell us that the walls of Jericho were so wide, you could drive two chariots across the top of them and never touch each other. These are thick, big walls, big challenge. So Joshua goes out one night. He's probably just going out to just kind of pray, get on his own, get, get himself together. Why? Because Moses is not there anymore. Now Joshua is going to face the biggest battle that Israel has ever faced up until this point. He doesn't know yet the strategy that's going to be given him. And as he's, as he's walking on the plains of Jericho, he sees a figure before him. It's a man. He's got a shield. He's got a sword. He's wearing armor. And Joshua is startled. And Joshua, Joshua says to this figure, are you for us or against us? And that figure says, I am the captain of the Lord of hosts. And as soon as that figure, as soon as that man spoke, Joshua hits the floor. He didn't recognize the figure, but he recognized the voice. Why? Because he stayed in the tent after Moses left, and he got to hear and to learn because he saw how Moses interacted with God. He saw how Moses heard from God. He began then to hear from God for himself, and now Moses is off the scene, and now Joshua recognizes, this is the voice I heard in the tabernacle. And listen to me. The greatest thing that you and I can do is to love people enough to let them experience those things that we have with God, bring them alongside you, let them, let them be there when you're praying. Let them, we, have our, we have our staff prayer on Thursday mornings. First thing in the morning, we gather here. And let me tell you something. The, the, the things that we have been experiencing in these past couple of months have been amazing. I have been waiting 10 years to have a prayer group like this. 10 years amongst our staff. Now, we have some younger people on our staff that haven't had those, kind of, that, those experiences yet. And so it's up to us. It's up to the older ones. And now, all of a sudden, the younger ones are starting to participate. They're starting to hear. They're starting to see things. They're starting to be impressed of God. They're starting to see and hear things and then hear one of us pray the exact same things out. So what's happening? They're learning. And they're picking up the experience. And they're starting to hear from God. And that's how we're supposed to raise leaders up. Are you affecting people? Now, let me flip this on the other side before I finish this because I don't want to skip this part. We also have to trust God and believe God that when God brings someone in our life to teach us that we have a heart that's open, that we never get to the place that we think we know it all. And believe me, that's so prominent today. You always are going to need somebody that God places in your life for you to learn from. And listen to me, many times it's not going to be somebody you like. but you can learn, and you can be mentored, and you can still be invested in. I just had a meeting with an individual just a couple, of, two days ago, someone that I've, I've learned to kind of grow to appreciate and grow to understand that this is somebody that God's placed in my life. And I, and I approached this person. We had a meeting uh, two days ago. I said to this individual, you know, my pastor, the person that I consider my pastor, went home to be with the Lord last year. And I have felt vulnerable. I have felt like I don't have anybody. 
Now, it's not like I saw this person every day of the week, or, but when we did come together, I always knew I could always get on the phone and call Pastor DeMola and say, hey, listen, this is what's happened. This is what do you think. Can you pray? What's your, but he's not here anymore. So I said to this other individual, can I, can I count on you to be my pastor? And he said, big smile. He said to me, I've, I've already felt that connection. He said, but you're, you're the lead pastor here. Yeah, but I need a pastor. I, I, I may be the lead pastor here, but I'm also a sheep. You see what I'm saying? I need somebody that's over me. I need somebody to hold me accountable. I need somebody that I can go to and say, hey, listen, this is what's happening. What do you think I should do here? We have to be able to recognize when God is placing someone in our life that we allow them to invest in us, that we allow them to pour into us, that we never get to the place that we think, I don't need anybody. No, that's when you start making mistakes. That's when you start going backwards. Amen? Amen. I hope that I've stirred something up. I hope that that either, either, because every one of us is either one position or the other. We're either on the depositing end or we're in the receiving end. And our lives should be a constant network of us depositing and investing in people and us receiving deposits and allowing others investing in our lives. Why? Because God is glorified in those kind of relationships. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'd like to pray for us all. Father, help us to recognize Help us to receive the people that you put in our lives, to learn from, to be encouraged by. And Father, even those to imitate as we follow them, as they follow Christ. But Father, cause us also to recognize and embrace those you position in our lives for us to teach, for us to encourage, for us to set a good example for. Lord, I pray that we would always be mindful of our relationships as far as where, where are they at? Is it, a, is it a depositing relationship? Is it a receiving relationship? Are we to mentor or to be mentored? Are we to invest or are we to be invested in, Father? Knowing and trusting you, God, that you are placing things in others that we need so that we can draw from those relationships, Father, to always glorify you, to always set the best example for you, to never cause people to want to be to be repulsed by our actions, Father, and therefore be just resistant to you wanting to affect their hearts and affect their lives. Father, we can't do this on our own. We can only do it through your help and by your grace. But Father, even as your word says, we understand and we receive the promise that your grace is sufficient for us. And when we're weak, you make us strong. Lord, strengthen the relationships in our lives that we've already established. Father, cause us to be very, very aware and alert to those individuals that you want us to share life with. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would always walk in forgiveness. We would always walk in love. We would always encourage one another. Hold each other accountable, Father so that you would always get the glory. We thank you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. 
If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.